Hello and welcome to episode 132 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. We got three out of four from the Orioles. At least we got something positive to talk about. And the hopes for the Blue Jays are looking up as we head towards the All-Star break. Bryson, how are you? I'm doing good, Mark. It was a good weekend. You know, a little disappointed it wasn't a sweep, but I will take three out of four based on the circumstances. And yeah, uh, it's looking a lot better for the Jays in terms of where they sit in both the AL East, the wild card. So it's been uh, it's been a good weekend for sure. Yeah, we'll talk about that disaster on Friday. Um, definitely didn't go as planned there, and we saw some of the you know early June Blue Jays um, coming back a little bit in that game. But they do take three out of four, and from Baltimore. You got to hope for at least three of four, if not four of four. So it's a good weekend for the Blue Jays. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing all right. And not even with the Blue Jays. It was a pretty eventful week or weekend, really, for Major League Baseball with some all-star game and some home run derby announcements and some sticky stuff. But you know what? It's a fun time to be a baseball fan as the calendar looks like it's starting to transition into July. Yeah, I see a future Blue Jay Trevor Story is going to be in the uh, home run derby. So that's exciting. And then, uh, of course, this offseason, he's going to sign a deal with the Blue Jays to be their starting shortstop. Um, at least I'm hopeful. Um, but back on track, let's start with talk about Friday's game because that's kind of like, I hate to focus on the negative, but that's the most contentious point of all of this. The Blue Jays are leading 5-1, to one, heading into the eighth inning. They bring in Tyler Chatwood, and Tyler Chatwood does what Tyler Chatwood does best. He blows it, gives up three earned runs, and then they bring in Taylor Saucedo. He gives up a couple runs. The Orioles end up taking it 6-5 to five in 10 innings. Um, I ask this question every time, but it seems like it's always the point of contention. Is this Charlie Montoyo's fault? Is it the bullpen's fault? I hate to just bring up the same question every time, but it 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 seems like that's the point of debate every time when we talk about these bullpen implosions. I'm gonna give Charlie Montoya a pass this time because here's the thing: ever since only that, this time, yeah, this time because look, going into that game after the terrible game against Boston, where Chatwood allowed I think it was three three runs, but they weren't charged to him. Since then, and a scoreless inning against the Yankees. One and a third scoreless inning, well, two actually another scoreless outing against the Yankees, and then a scoreless outing against the Orioles, my and then two against Miami. So over his last four, five, six innings, he's had good outings and he hasn't allowed any earned runs. So I understand the the trust in Chatwood and saying, okay, well maybe he's turned a bit of a leaf after just a disastrous outing or a disastrous start to the month of June. Where he was, it seems he was allowing two earned runs, five, four, whatever it was every single outing and he had he had gone quite a few outings where he hadn't allowed anything so I understand the trust in Chatwood and maybe the the hope that he had started to rebound but it just it wasn't there only one batter retired three earned runs three runs both all of them were earned two walks and a strikeout not good I mean I, I guess he only allowed one hit if you're looking for a positive but it just it wasn't a good outing and I like I, I'm happy about the series overall but when I think about the fact the Blue Jays could have had their win streak still going, they could have swept. All they had to do was get that get out of that game. They were winning by more than four runs. All they had to do was was win there. And Tyler Chatwood just unfortunately wasn't wasn't what he needed to be. He had started to been that to be that way over the last couple outings, but it's just he wasn't there today or on Friday. 
And it just, it, it, it hurt the Blue Jays. And at the end of the day, they ended up losing that game after going up, as I mentioned. And it just, it, it, it was a disaster. I mean, I still think also, I, I wouldn't fully blame the game on Chatwood. I mean, there were some things in the 10th inning and the fact that the, the Blue Jays didn't score, they had the opportunity, but I, I would still argue even against that, that they shouldn't have been in that situation. They should have been out of the game after the bottom of the ninth and Unfortunately, the the bullpen, the issues are still there, and they were present in that game. But regardless, I wouldn't blame Charlie Montoya on that because at some point, first of all, Tyler Chatwood's on the roster. He's got a pitch, and also he had not pitched terrible over the last couple outings. So I like, I understand the trust in him, but it just it, it didn't work out. And I think if you're Montoya, you got to be a little bit more weary about when you put Tyler Chatwood into the games. Yeah, no, I mean, there's been only a few times this year where all of us have blamed Montoya, so that's why... Like majority of the times, and we've, I believe all of us have said it, is that we don't blame Charlie Montoyo for most of the situations. And yeah, no, I don't blame him. To, I don't blame him for Friday. No, um, and I don't blame anybody other than Tyler Chatwood. It was five one in the eighth inning. You shouldn't be thinking about failing to score a run in extra innings because you shouldn't be going to extra innings. So that's as simple as it gets. You shouldn't be in that uh, situation. And then you know the part that gets me, and it's it's the same thing every time is. You know, when you have an implosion like this from the bullpen and then obviously things that transpired before, like the implosion, it's just a lot of things happen where it becomes a waste again. You know, it's another start by Alec Manoa who or bounces back against Baltimore. Uh, six innings, four four hits, one run, zero earned runs, six strikeouts. Like it's a good bounce back outing from Alec Manoa. You have George Springer hitting his first home run coming since coming back off the injury list for the second time. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a home run again. So there's a few things there that happen and you, you waste it again. Like it's just, it, it hurts because it's another winnable game that goes down the drain. Um, I know three out of four, you can't really complain too much. It's just, it's just almost like a bummer that you couldn't get four and sweep this team because it obviously should have happened. It didn't happen. We know what happened with Chatwood, the three run runs, like you guys mentioned, Sacedo came in after as well. And, um, you know, it's it pretty much from there on out, it fell apart. And when it's just hard for a team to bounce back like they do, or to try and get a team to bounce back like that. When you allow four runs in the eighth inning, when you're up 5-1, it's just, it's unacceptable. And from there on out, it just went downhill for the Jays. And it's been the exact same story every time. So it's not like the Jays recover from this. Usually they don't. When they, when the bullpen implodes like they do this year, every time, it's a similar outing in terms of the Jays ending up losing the game, no matter what it's from. Um, you know, from there on out, it just feels like the offense can't really get going after that. But in that situation, it's also a tough spot that you put the entire team in, which is why it's just all around frustrating. And um, for Tyler Chatwood, you guys are right. And he, his, his numbers have been looking promising since that outing. He's been uh, appearing in scoreless situations, or sorry, scoreless outings and appearances. And the Jays kind of reverted back to... I guess putting him in high leverage situations, which is why he came into the game on Friday like he did, you know. And now, do you go away from him again? I'm not sure you do. I think you give him another chance, but I think we're just coming to the conclusion now. And regardless of how good Tyler Chatwood started this year, because he was good for so long, and over the past month, it's obviously been a complete disaster. We know how bad he's been. Is this is who Tyler Chatwood is? This is the real or true Tyler Chatwood. And unfortunately, it is what they have. It's the bullpen right now. That's currently what they have. So it goes back to Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro. Until you address the bullpen and get something or someone, no matter who it is, if it's a starter, if it's a reliever, if it's both, if it's multiple, 
this is what you're going to deal with from here on out. It is. And, you know, you're going to have the opportunities and the chances sometimes where the bullpen is lights out. And, for example, Tyler Chatwood, for the course of the last week prior to Friday, he's been good. He has been. But you can't, you know, write off the the, the rare day or the odd day or the day once a week where this happens. And that's why, as much as it was frustrating, it kind of sunk in a bit a little bit to me it was easy for me to take in on Friday it was because we're just so used to it and once you keep getting hit by the same thing every time in terms of how this team finds ways to lose it doesn't become as frustrating of course it is overall but at the heat of the moment I'm just I remember just sitting at the tv and just staring at it for like five minutes and just like I wasn't even in disbelief I just had a straight face I wasn't screaming because obviously that's not going to do anything I've seen it too many times this year to freak out this is the way it's going to be until you get you get a reliever. That's the fact of the matter is. It's nothing against Tyler Chatwood, and unfortunately, this is who he is. And someone like uh, Saucedo as well, you know, you're throwing him in an, um, a tough spot. You are. And, of course, he obviously didn't get the job done. And besides Jordan Romano, that's really the only guy you can truly trust right now. And then, of course, Trent Thornton as well. Um, he's been up and down a few times this series. He definitely has had some good spots. I know on Friday he did allow a run, but it was an unearned run. So he's someone, too, where you're like, eh. It just, overall, you, gotta, you, you understand. Once the starters leave the game, once you go to the bullpen and you're winning, unless it's 10-1... You know, it, no lead is safe with this team. That's just the way it is. Um, you know, you're up five one. Of course, you think you're you're in a decent spot, but unfortunately, for every Blue Jays fan now, even even past the trade deadline, when once they do get someone, you know, it just the amount of times they've lost this year, the back of your head, you're always gonna have a bad feeling about when the bullpen comes in, and that's just the way it's been this year. How bad it's been? There's your answer because that's exactly what you're gonna be feeling every single time. So going back to Friday. Charlie Montoyo, there have been a few times where we do blame him, obviously, the one a couple weeks ago, uh, the Cleveland thing, and then, of course, uh, there was one another month ago. It just, it's all kind of a, a blah for me right now with that, but other than those two times, I don't know how you blame Charlie Montoyo. I really don't know how. So, he, you know, Tyler Chatwood comes in late, the, the eighth inning, and, you, you know, in that situation, you're like, okay, he could be a setup man for Romano, and really, like, I, if you don't want Chatwood in the game, then... You tell me who else you're going to go in and throw in the eighth inning right now. Because obviously Romano can't pitch two innings every single game. It's obviously ideal when he does. It's definitely a lot better. But in terms of him, in terms of his health, in terms of his stamina, that can't be happening every single game. So you're going to have to throw in someone. And it's the same story every time. This is who they have. And until they address the bullpen, you're going to have to deal with the possibility that they're going to cough up a game. Yeah, we're we're all kind of a broken record at this point, And it feels like... We practically have a new segment on this show, and I don't know what we would call it, maybe like why Charlie shouldn't be fired yet or something like that, because it seems like that's all we do every week, every time we come on here. It's another reason why Charlie Montoyo isn't to blame for this, but it's true. Like, you look at the stats for Tyler Chatwood over his eight appearances before Friday night's game, his ERA, zero. Hadn't given up, given up a single run, hadn't given up a single hit. Over that span, he walked two batters. That's the only base runner he allowed over eight appearances. I think it's like a three-week span from June 6th to June 23rd. So not quite three weeks, about two weeks there. But you look at the numbers, like it supports him coming into the game in that situation. It looked like he had figured it out after, you know, the rough end to May, the rough start to June. It looked like he knew what he was doing. Of course he didn't, but you can't blame Charlie Montoyo for assuming that instead of eight good appearances in a row, he's going to get nine good appearances in a row. You can't blame Charlie Montoyo for that. Um, 
it's I don't understand how people are still vying and and have their pitchforks out for Charlie Montoyo. It's like I it's frustrating at this point. I like use your head, watch the game, and understand that it's not Charlie Montoyo's fault. If anything, it's Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. Again, I'm a broken record. We've said this all before, but um, yeah, that's it. And another thing that frustrated me was you look at Sunday's game with Ross Stripling on the mound. Ross Stripling stayed in the game after, I think it was six innings. He came out for the seventh inning, or maybe it was five innings, came out for the sixth inning, gave up back-to-back hits to start the inning, was taken out. You go back to the last Tyler Chatwood implosion um, against Boston on the, that Friday night game when Tyler Chatwood came in and I think walked two batters, hit a batter through a wild pitch and um, then had to be taken out, out of the game. You look at that situation, it was Ross Stripling starting that game and people are saying, why did Charlie Montoyo take out Ross Stripling so early? Have him go out there. It's a 5-1 lead. He can you know, pitch through it and if he gives up a couple runs, fine, but at least you don't have to go to your bullpen for a little bit longer. You look at this situation, they kept Ross Stripling in. What did Ross Stripling do? He put two guys on, didn't get an out, then he had to be yanked from the game. So it's so easy to look retroactively and say, when Charlie Montoyo does this, he should have done this other thing. When he does this, that's a wrong decision. But it's also, just look at the facts. Like sometimes when you roll the dice, it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. You can't always blame Charlie Montoyo for the mistakes of other people. Um Anyways, that's my rant for the day. Um, See, one, one more thing. Yeah. The thing that I notice, and I scroll through Twitter and Instagram and all these different chat rooms and on different apps, not a single person who knocks Charlie Montoyo gives a legitimate alternative to what he should do. It's always keep him in, keep him in, or, or have a different guy come to pitch, but nobody ever says what they should actually do. And I think the biggest problem is, is you can't really criticize Charlie Montoyo and say, well, Tyler Chatwood's trash, you shouldn't pitch him, but th- give no solution. I-, I mean, obviously, maybe some guy on an Instagram chat room doesn't have much input, but you always hear people say, you shouldn't do this, but it's like when you really look at it, Charlie Montoya doesn't really have any other options. In the first game of the series, Anthony Castro, a guy that I trust through, through, a, through an inning, Patrick Murphy just coming back from the injured list, I don't know. Like, I trust him in terms of who I would want to come out in the game, but he's still coming back back from an injury he hasn't pitched much this season Jacob Barnes just came back for or just came to the team Tyler Saucedo same thing those guys I would assume maybe are unavailable uh we did see Saucedo pitch in the game uh, in the game where Tyler Chatwood did implode but the point I'm trying to make here is there's only so many options that the Blue Jays have and if you're throwing in Tim Meza for an inning in in the game before Tyler Chatwood comes out and then you put Romano in for over an inning Trent Thornton comes in for an inning there's only so much that these guys can pitch and, and eventually Tyler Chatwood, eventually everybody's going to have to pitch. And even, you know, look, look at in the third game of the series, Jacob Barnes and Joel Pams pitched. They did they were then not available for that next game, the fourth game. And you see Romano come in, he got the save. Anthony Castro came in, Tim Meza, Patrick Murphy. So the guys in the first two games were available or, or that were in the first two games were available in the fourth game. And it's just like, there's only so much that these guys can pitch. And I just, I feel like for the people that want to criticize Charlie Montoyo, look at the box score and understand who pitched today, who pitched yesterday, who hasn't pitched in a week. Eventually, guys are going to have to pitch. And, and it does suck when the Blue Jays lose. It sucks when you can pinpoint it and say it's on Tyler Chatwood. But there's only so much that Charlie Montoyo can do. And it, it it's tough to be a manager of a team just over 500. But 
I think the fans do need to relax a little bit and, and kind of do a little bit more analytics and, and diving into things before they kind of before they criticize Charlie Montoya and say that he's a terrible manager because it's just it's I, I don't agree with everything he does, but I will defend him when people are just making inaccurate claims. And yeah, it's just obviously I've, he's the scapegoat. And in, in most situations when it's not his fault, someone's got to be blamed other than, I guess, Tyler Chatwood or anybody. But yeah, going back to your point, Mark, you said it. Uh, Tyler Chatwood over the course of what his last, you know, what was it over the past week? Anyways, either way, an ERA of zero. So why wouldn't you try and go back to him? And the same thing went on Sunday. Look at what happened when Ross Stripling was pulled. So obviously Patrick Murphy comes in, uh, Tim Mesa come in. They both have scoreless innings. And then when you're going getting to the eighth inning now, you have Anthony Castro come in. And we all know how much he struggled over the past, I guess, two weeks, over the past 15 days, an ERA of 18. However, the past seven days, he's he's had two appearances, nothing, an ERA, a perfect ERA of zero. And you throw him in, you give him a chance, and then, of course, that sets up Jordan Romano, who gets the save, his sixth of the season. So, you know, based on how the Jays have a bullpen or any anything like this, when guys are, I guess, bouncing back or having score or a week where they give up nothing, you know, what else do you expect? Of course you're going to go back and give them another chance. That explains Anthony Castro coming in on Sunday. And it's just really, I don't have anybody else in this bullpen right now who you you know, you want to give that chance to right now. I know Dolis is someone who the Jays constantly give opportunities, but right now he's unavailable. And yeah, Jacob Barnes, are you really going to trust Jacob Barnes right now after he's pitched two games for this team? I'm not right now. No way. So, and then of course, when you look at other names, no one's very appealing to to give the ball in the eighth inning right now, other than Castro or unfortunately right now, Tyler Chatwood. Those are my two guys. Yeah, exactly. Like I have nothing else to say. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a couple days when we're done with this series against the Mariners because they're probably going to blow another bullpen lead again. But like you said, at this point, it's just reality until they fix the problem. But uh, let's move on to some happier topics. Um, like all this being said, the Blue Jays still took three of four. They've still won seven of their last eight. If they didn't blow that game, they would have won eight straight games. Um, it's getting easier for the Blue Jays. We knew this would happen with the easier schedule. Things are getting better for the Blue Jays, and we've seen that in a lot of different regards. We've seen things continue to be well for the Blue Jays, at least offensively for someone like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who I'm sure people are aware just won AL Player of the Week um, because the last seven days, six games, 391 batting average, on-base percentage of 481, slugging of 826, OPS of one3 08, 19 total bases, three home runs. Those came in three consecutive games um, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, it's just ridiculous what he's doing. Like, I, again, like broken record. We've talked about it before, but I think we're seeing some of his competition for AL MVP get a little bit less intense. Um, Shohei Otani had a rough week. I think he went. 0 for 6 at one point with five strikeouts. So not like a big stretch, but, you know, cooling off a little bit. Um, we saw, you know, in terms of home run competition, guys like Adolis Garcia have fallen off the map a little bit. We're seeing some of his main competitors in other offensive categories kind of fall off the map a little bit. Maybe not Fernando Tatis Jr., maybe not Shohei Otani to some extent. But I think the amount of production we're seeing from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is just ridiculous and at this point I know so many people are having the debate of you know Tatis for MVP Otani uh, of course Tatis in the National League but Otani um, or Vlad who do you vote for 
in the American League. And I, what Shohei Otani is doing right now is incredible. Like, it's ridiculous. We've never seen something like this in the history of baseball. So, you know, if there was an award for most unique season or most groundbreaking season, I would give it to Shohei Otani. But, of course, I'm a Blue Jay fan. But that being recognized, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is still having one of the best offensive seasons in recent history. You know, maybe the comparable is Miguel Cabrera when he won the Triple Crown. Besides that, the pace of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is on right now, and the age that he is to do this stuff is just ridiculous. So if I was voting for the MVP, I would vote Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in a heartbeat. I know Otani's doing crazy things, but it's Vladdy all the way for me. I want to say that it would be a guaranteed vote for Vladdy, but part of me kind of wants to consider the fact that Otani's doing it on both sides of the field. But that being said, at the end of the day, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is probably the most valuable player to have on any team in any league, AL or NL. Like you, you look in, at this series, he was one for four with a homer in game one, two for five with a homer in game two, game three again a home run. Uh, he he was one for three, and then in game four, two for four, no home runs, but still, like it seems as if every single episode we just keep talking about how. He's having a great season, and early on we said, well, hopefully this can continue. You know, he had a good April, good May, and we're saying, well, okay, six weeks, uh, comparable to six months, like the the six-month season, he's going to have to continue that, and he just, he is cont- continuing that. He just, like, no matter what, I keep thinking in my head, when is this production going to stop? Because I'm just so used to it eventually, or any player really that I cheer for eventually cooling off, and he just, he's not doing that at all. It's probably a lock that he's going to make the all-star game, play first base. I really don't see anybody, like, even if, I don't I don't even know off the top of my head, but even if, like, the best players in the league, I don't even know. But basically my point is, even if, like, the top player ever, like, even if Babe Ruth came back, and I don't even know if he was a first baseman, but even if he came back, Vladdy would still beat him out because he's just, he's having that great of a season, and it's... It's it's just it's so fun to watch and even you look at he did he put those numbers up against tough teams you know the Blue Jays played the White Sox the Red Sox the Yankees they played Houston Cleveland like they played some good teams and going into into the month of July first of all I mean if you guys like the Orioles or if you're sick of the Orioles I mean you might as well get over that because they're going to play them quite a lot they play they have 3 against Seattle 3 against Tampa Bay so a little bit of a tougher series 3 against Baltimore and then Tampa Bay again and then they play three against Texas. So, like, the, the, they still have a bit of an easier month. And then, obviously, there's the, the AL East opponents, the Yankees, the Red Sox, Rays. But I don't see why b- this won't continue. Like, you're, you're facing teams that are not as good as the teams that you've previously pay- faced. And still, I, I mean, I don't I don't want to say that Guerrero is going to be a good hitter just because he's against bad teams. Like, this, this truly is just who he is as a hitter. And... It's just at this point, like Teoscar Hernandez said, I don't even know how much more impressed I can be because it's just it, it keeps continuing. And I'm just at some point, I feel like we kind of expect it going into the season. We expected it and it's just it's coming to fruition. It's honestly like part of me is at a loss for words because it's just it's watching this guy every single day. It's like this is this is the type of player I think that Blue Jay fans and really Toronto fans wanted like you talk about all the great players from the other teams and other Toronto teams and even past Blue Jay teams. 
like for me, when I was just barely getting into this, you know, Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion were those two guys that everyone liked. You look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's, I would argue that he is probably going to have a better career, Blue Jay career than, than some of those guys. You, no disrespect to them. And obviously I would, they're Blue Jay legends. But when you look at what Guerrero is able to do and what he's able to do night in, night out, no matter what, no matter if the other team's got their ace on the mound, I mean, he took Max Scherzer deep for a grand slam. No matter if it's him, no matter who it is, he's hitting the ball and he's hitting it out. He's hitting it hard. And one last thing I'll say, the most impressive thing or the most, I guess, promising thing is he is not even the only guy that can do this in the lineup. Teoscar Hernandez hitting around 300. George Springer is a power hitter. Bichette's a bit of a free swinger, but he also does hit the ball quite a lot. And man, this lineup is so dangerous. And even towards the end of the lineup with Reese McGuire, he's having a good season so far or so far since he came up from the minors. But it's like at the end of the day, the Blue Jays, are meant to win games with their offense. And it seems like right now they're being led by Mr. Guerrero. And it, it, no matter what, I'm just, it's, it's just so fantastic to watch this guy night in, night out. And I haven't gotten a Jersey. I think when was it maybe four or five years ago, but I might have to fork the money over because the Guerrero's he'll be a household name and it's just, it's, it's only starting. Yeah, and just quickly on Bichette, I I have lost count this year in terms of how many times his helmet has fallen <laughs> off his head because of how it much of a free like, swinger he like, is. I can't think of a single time. Oh, well, swinging, yes, but when he runs down yeah. to first, I can't think of a single time that his helmet hasn't fallen off. It seems like yeah. he's always reaching behind his back to grab a just, little tongue, but that's off topic. Yeah. I don't know how he hasn't tripped, though. Like For me, well, if, it, he, if it were to hit There was the ankle. one where he mm-hmm. had a complete swing and miss and he like fell over and that I think it was the Yankees series but anyways yeah it's just going back to Vladdy uh yeah you know what for people who think like it's I mean I don't think anyone's really even making that argument Jacob what you were mentioning about like the teams has been playing because I know he's been getting better every month which is true because that's statistically like a fact however um they had the heart they have the hardest schedule in baseball ranked and of course no matter what as much as it's getting easier it's still the number one or it's still the hardest schedule in baseball and he did this all against majority of all these teams like it's impressive and i said it i think a couple weeks ago i'll say it again i can't remember the last time somebody on this team has had an ops this high heading into july now now we're heading into july i said this heading into june so it's it continues to get higher and higher and Here's the thing with Otani, because I understand the argument. I understand the two-way player. I understand that he's, I guess, more of a... He has a higher war because of that in terms of... I think he has a 5.6 war, so almost a 6-1 player. I understand that he can do both, which is good. He's generational. He's one of many faces in in the league. And I just want to make something clear, too, is the amount of prospects that are coming up and the, the amount of faces in baseball right now, and the most recent one is Franco on uh, Tampa Bay, like the league's in really good hands with all these young players that you have. And we all know Tatis, Acuna, like it's just insane. The amount of faces this, the MLB has not just the Jays, obviously, but the entire game. And I really think it's a really, really good direction for the future of the game. And especially who can forget as much as Trout's been hurt. You have Mike Trout as well. So anyways, going back to that, I understand the debate you can make with Otani or not, but everyone always debates about this in terms of, how pitchers never win um, the MVP. Obviously, there's an award for that. It's the Cy Young. However, very rarely, or you know, just you very rarely see any consideration for a pitcher to win the MVP. Which is why, because we go off of that, I guess, philosophy or the way how we think about that, 
I don't really look at Otani's pitching for the MVP. I don't. I, I understand you can. I know you can make the argument you can. Every year we hear the same thing now with the Mets. Jacob deGrom, an 0-69 ERA this year. Everyone chants MVP, MVP, and he hasn't won an MVP. It's just, I don't know if you, I'm not saying I agree with it, because maybe you guys also think that pitchers should be just as considered as hitters, but that's just, for some reason, that's not how it's considered, because obviously pitchers have the Cy Young. So, as much as it's not fair to Otani, when I look at the MVP race between, right now, obviously for the American League one, it's between Vladdy and Otani. I can't consider the pitching as much as I do. I know I give it a little bit of a mention, yes, and I obviously consider it a little bit, but Vladdy offensively has been better than Otani. He has been. He's got a higher everything. I believe he does in terms, I think it's Otani's slug. No, actually, yeah, everything is higher. His OPS is higher yeah, uh, by a little bit. I think bit. Otani's yeah. average is like way down. It's like 270 or something. Yeah, it's right here. It's 277. So as yeah. much as you want to look at average or how relevant it is, it's still obviously really good. But Vladdy's is 342. It feels like it feels like you're playing a video game and like the sliders and everything are on rookie. Like it's it's actually video game numbers when you think of it. An OPS of a thousand one hundred and twenty seven. That's insane. It keeps getting higher and higher. And how can you like I? He's the leader. And of course, when you want to combine them all, like I don't see anyone that's been better than him. I know Tatis as well has a high OPS. Almost um, 1,100 as well. Otani's there. I think those are the three highest OPSs in the league. And, of course, Acuna's always hanging around. I think Jesse Winker, too, on Cincinnati this year is having a really, really good year. So that's obviously good, too. But he's he's got to be the MVP right now. He has to be. And I understand, you know, Otani definitely is neck and neck. It's not like it's completely on a different level because it's not. It's really neck and neck. But Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has gotten better every single month. So I'm not even worried about in terms of you know him cooling off and we we kind of have seen like glimpses of him cooling off, but it's only been for like two games, not even. So he just finds a way no matter, you know, at least once or twice a series at worst to do something and that is why it goes back to me with the bullpen blowing it and just all the winnable games that they've lost this year, like all the games you've wasted after what he's done. And the one that comes to mind right away is the Red Sox game a couple weeks ago at Fenway. He hit the game-tying home run in the ninth inning, and right away they lose it the next inning. And he's, and they showed him in the dugout. He was just staring in, like, disbelief. And we all know the other game, too, in Fenway where he got mad in the dugout. You guys saw the video, and I'm, I think one of you guys posted it as well. Just, you can't waste these games. And now we're talking from Blue Jays, like, fans and standpoint. Please don't waste this because I don't, you know, you may never never get this again. It's generational, yes, and I know that we're expecting him to be good for his entire career. I don't think any of us expected him to be this good, but no matter what the future holds, like, this is a remarkable and historical season in terms of the MLB and in terms of in franchise history for the Jays. Yeah, and for anyone who says or is worried about him cooling down, don't be. I, you look at his OPS – for April and March, for the first month of the season, his OPS was 229. He was batting 350 on base of 490. You go to May, slowed down a little bit, batting average of 302, OPS plus of 175. You go to June, he's batting 382 on base of 471 and has an OPS plus of 241 for the month of June so far. And of course, we still have a little bit to go, but he has the most home runs of any month this season so far in June. He has 10. Again, still a few days to go. It's just ridiculous what he's doing. And I think the biggest argument against him in terms of the MVP race, and I've seen a lot of people bringing this up, especially fans of opposing teams, 
is that the Blue Jays do kind of have a home field advantage playing in Dunedin, playing in Buffalo. They are small parks. The ball does fly a little bit more in those parks than it does in other parks, say Camden Yards or even Tropicana Field or places like that. But okay, you go to his splits on the home and away splits. You look at his OPS plus for home. It is ridiculous. It's 261. But you look at his away OPS plus, it's 172. Like, if you are getting a 172 OPS period from any player, that would probably be, for most teams, the best hitter on the team. And you're getting that on his away splits, which are supposedly bad statistics. It's just, it's ridiculous how good he is. Um, And yeah, like Dunedin and Buffalo are small ballparks, but you look at New York, like you look at that people aren't saying oh Aaron Judge accomplishments like he's having a good season his accomplishments this year we shouldn't consider them as much because he's playing in Yankee Stadium no so just like I it's ridiculous how good he is and if I had to predict today who's going to win the MVP award I'd probably say Otani you know I think that most voters are going to say look he's doing things that have never been done in the history of the game it's Otani but if I was voting Vladimir Guerrero Jr. deserves it. It's just, it's ridiculous what he's doing. There's no other word for it. It's, it's ridiculous. Hopefully the Angels can trade Otani to a, a National League That's team. That's not going to happen. Because like, Guerrero, he, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, Guerrero deserves it. Like, I don't think that there's any, uh, any disagreement on that part. It's just, it's, it's tough when there's a guy that is not as good offensively comparable, relatively comparable, but is also fantastic on the mound i think that that's just it's it's tough i would probably vote for guerrero trying to put biases aside but i i could see a lot of people also voting for otani considering that it's not just a good offensive season for him it's a good season on the mound i i do agree with mark i think it you know if everything stays on par in terms of both of them like over exceeding expectations i do think it'll go to otani for that reason alone i just make the argument that you know, pitching isn't always recognized for the MVP, but of course, from Otani, who is a naturally or not naturally, but just a two-way player overall, obviously catches a lot of people's um, attention. But yeah, you know, people. I know people can make the argument in terms of where the Jays play if it's Buffalo, Dunedin, but you know, they've also been living out of a suitcase now for over a year in terms of not being able to play in, at at home truly. So. Yeah, it's not, a, you know, as much as it's easy for you to say they're playing here, playing there, but it's definitely a lot harder than, you know, it's very difficult for them not to be at home. So, I mean, I, I hope they can come home at some point. We know that. But just the one thing, too, is the one thing that for Vladdy that pretty much blows me away as well is that between 2019 and 2020, he had a career OPS of 778. And because of how good he's been this year, his career OPS is now at 880. He's gotten it up that much almost what over 100 points almost like that's insane it's just I hope he gets it I hope he continues to over exceed I hope he you know if he continues to out hit Otani like he has been maybe he could eventually get it I mean who knows how they're gonna base it off of this year but you know right now uh, there's obviously nothing really more he can do like he's doing everything he possibly can and it's working for the team and he's quickly become a face of this game so it's very impressive and um, like I mentioned it's just crazy to see how you've seen this and it feels so good to say it and especially when it's your own team like it's just it's definitely a different feeling and you get the feeling of how special it is and who knows when it will come again and if this is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that we're going to get for multiple years I mean we're in for a treat that's all I'm going to say my two final thoughts on this number one thing is that yeah the 
the opinion I gave before that Otani is probably going to win it. That's assuming things stay the way they are. And I think if we had to choose whose performance is more sustainable, I think it is Guerrero's because Otani is doing something that no one has ever done. Yes, but that has a huge tax on your body. We've seen in previous years he's been highly injured. Um, a lot of people saying they don't think this is sustainable. They don't think he should be hitting on the daisy pitches. So I think if we're looking whose performance is more sustainable, more likely to continue, I say it's Flatty's. And then the second thought is, if things keep up the way they do, I think the deciding factor might be which team makes it into the postseason or which team is closer to the postseason. Because, of course, we know that probably shouldn't play a consideration into this, but when you look at the most valuable player, oftentimes it does. Oftentimes the, the player comes from a postseason team. So if the Blue Jays end up making that push, they're probably going to get it. I don't think the Angels at this point, looking at their division with – you know, the Astros, number one, Oakland is a very good team as well. I don't think they're going to be able to make the postseason unless it's at a second wildcard spot, which seems unlikely. So I I think the Blue Jays have the upper hand in that regard. But that's my final thought on that. Um, let's turn to <laughs> funny comparison between these two guys. But Reese McGuire, you mentioned him, Jacob. Over the past few weeks... He has been kind of an MVP offensively in the bottom part of the lineup for the Blue Jays. You look at his career stats compared to this year, he's never been a horrible hitter. Of course, 2020 is you know, a league in its own of how bad he's been, but you look at his stats overall this year um, in 32 games, 84 at-bats. So yes, small sample size, but batting average of 321 on base of 374, slugging 440, OPS of 814, OPS plus of 125. Um, he's the best offensive catcher the Blue Jays have seen in a while, and I'm including Alejandro Kirk in that. Because Kirk, despite his good performance last year at the start of this year, he never put up numbers this good. And you look at Reese McGuire, he's already raised his career batting average by like 20 points. And it's only been 30 games in 2021. So it's ridiculous what he's doing at the bottom part of the lineup. And we've talked about it before, but if he continues this performance, it's going to be really difficult to take him out of the everyday lineup, or at least, you know, every other day when Danny Jansen comes back, when Alejandro Kirk comes back. To have a guy of his caliber and to see what he's done even behind the plate defensively, Blue Jays pitching has still been good. You look at the numbers, without Danny Jansen, yes, maybe Hinjun Ryu has struggled, but you look at the other numbers, they're still one of the top five rotations in the American League uh, over the past you know, five, six times through the rotation. So defense hasn't really suffered. The hitting is all there. I honestly, I'm sending either Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk to the minors if they get back healthy and Reese McGuire is still doing what he's doing right now because there's no way you take him out of the lineup with what he's doing. Hot take, but I think even if Reese McGuire is hitting 250, one of Kirk or Jansen's going down because I like Danny Jansen behind the plate. He's a good catcher. Obviously, he reused comfortable with him, but. You can't be that bad offensively and and expect the team to keep you on the roster. I mean, this season, he's been injured for quite a while, but stats overall hitting 157 on base percentage of 248. So that like that's not good. Even if that's your number nine hitter, you still are hoping or expecting to hit around 200 or at least above that. But it's it's not been a good season for Danny Jansen. And I mean, 
he hasn't really been a great hitter all, all throughout his career, but it's just it hasn't been this bad. Normally he's hitting at least around 200, and if Reese McGuire is able to at least be an average major league hitter, I don't see why you send him down, and I think that would that would be the wrong decision. I, at this point, like, here's the thing. With last season, the way it worked, we saw Danny Jansen catch the majority of the games. Reese McGuire didn't play a ton. Well, played sort of, but he would be sent down. Caleb Joseph came in. Alejandro Kirk came up. Looking forward to this season, it was going to be Jansen and Kirk. Aside from the very beginning of the season, there's been very little consistency with who's been starting. Starting a catcher, or really just who's been on the roster. So unless you're Hyunjin Ryu, I don't really see why... He, you say, oh, I uh, if I'm any of those pitchers, I don't see why you say I I want this specific guy to to pitch to. Now it's fair to have those those preferences, and and if people do have that, that's fine. But I feel like there's been enough catchers that these pitchers have have seen throughout these last two seasons. You know, look at at Robbie Ray; he was here for over a season now. Ryu has only pitched to a couple different catchers, but a lot of these bullpen guys, a lot of these guys that are or are or were in the rotation at some point have pitched to m- multiple catchers. And I feel like at at this point a lot of them would trust Reese McGuire to be behind the plate for the majority of their starts. Now, it's a different story with Ryu. He has I think a 4.71 ERA over his last four or five starts, something like that. It was shown on the broadcast yesterday and that's not good, especially considering that he's your ace. He's your $20 million pitcher who at one point was among the top 10 in ERAs in the American League and I think maybe within top 15 or something in the entire league. But honestly, I feel like everybody should be comfortable with pitching to any of these catchers, whether it's Reese McGuire because he's the best offensive option or Danny Jansen. Like, I mean, the, the one name that does kind of get lost there is Riley Adams. I don't really see much of a roster spot for him once the guys start to get healthy. I mean, even for him, he's hitting below 1, 100. He's, he's hitting 0.80, so it really hasn't been that good for him. I mean, he's only had, if I can bring this up, he's only had a couple hits, I think, all season. So, and yeah, he's had, he's had 25 plate appearances, not a, not many hits, but it, it really has not been a good offensive, or, or a, a good offensive, I guess, call up for the Blue Jays but with that being said when it comes to the regulars or the guys that they expected to be regulars with Kirk and Jansen I think one of them gets sent down right after they come back from the injured list if Reese McGuire is hitting well obviously if he falls off the face of the earth and is not good over his next little while then you can say okay what do we really have in him but if he's hitting I would say above 250 or above you got to keep him on the roster because he's the best offensive option they have. I mean, you can argue that Kirk has maybe got more pop in his back and hit more home runs, but I don't know if, if you keep him on the roster if if it means that Reese McGuire's hitting, if he, if he would be the backup catcher. And even maybe you keep those two and Danny Jansen goes down, but it's, it's a tough scenario, I think, for the guys that expected to be the regulars. You know, both of them are on the injured list, and maybe you argue that one of them doesn't even spend the majority of the season with the team because I, there won't be three catchers. I'll say that right now. Not a chance the Blue Jays have three catchers. Because, like, realistically, if there's three catchers, I see Danny Jansen making one start a week or one start throughout the rotation, and that would be to Ryu. But th- that doesn't make sense. You're wasting a bench spot. Like The problem with catchers is usually they're not going to run as well, so you're not going to have them as a pinch hitter. You're not going to do any of that. So really all they can do is catch and 
hit whenever they're catching. So Blue Jays will have two catchers. As of right now, it's Reese McGuire and whoever is not hitting or, or whoever's hitting better than the other guy that was expecting to be a regular. But good on him. I mean, uh, Reese McGuire didn't really know what his job was going to be this season after a terrible season last year. And he's made the most of it. And not even made the most of it, but he, like he's not even a guy that has to hit. He's a guy that you want to hit. And I think that's the best part. He's he's slapping doubles. He's getting, driving runs home. He's been a good force at the end of the lineup. Turn it over. Have uh, Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like he's been fantastic and he can turn the lineup over and it's just it's good on him and I think that he's here to stay as long as he's hitting relatively well yeah no I I think it's simple obviously I'm not even I haven't even thought of three catches I don't obviously don't think that's going to happen and for Riley Adams just to start with him he's still a prospect uh he's clearly not ready and that's okay and I think that's it's simple that he obviously will go back down and continue to develop which is fine I mean when you look at him too he was what their fourth catcher on the depth chart, so it was kind. You're kind of asking a lot for him to come up, who is still developing, and I don't really take too much away from it. I just think he's someone that will be going back down, and at least now he goes down and he knows what he has to work on, and that's fine. And maybe you give him another chance next spring. Who knows? I know you have Moreno as well, who's maybe going to make the jump at some point this year to Triple A. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it all transpires next year. But even long term, I don't know how long the Jays hold on to all these catches for you have to assume that there's going to be some sort of um, move that eventually is made but that's just obviously a discussion for the winter when we're talking in January about spring training in 2022 but uh, for Reese McGuire I mean I haven't even thought twice of it I think he deserves to stay on the roster and I think the easy solution is to keep Alejandro Kirk in AAA as much as it's you know not as fair to Kirk. He did get injured. I understand closer to his injury, he was beginning to heat up. And when you look at Kirk, who's played 17 games this year, an OPS of 801, and um, he was just starting to figure out. He had three home runs, eight RBIs, because he had obviously had a slow start. However, if I'm the GM or if I'm Ross Atkins, my two catchers are Reese McGuire and Alejandro Kirk. I think Danny Jansen should go down. Will the Jays do that? I have a hard time seeing them do that. They love Danny Jansen for, I don't know, they do. I mean, Hunjin Ryu loves pitching to Danny Jansen as well. I have a hard time believing that Danny Jansen goes down. I would be shocked if he is, but if I'm the GM, I go with Kirk and I go with McGuire. One's a lefty, one's a righty. I think it's perfect. And the other thing, too, with Reese McGuire is he's been very good defensively as well when I've been looking at it. He has a perfect feeling percentage this year. He has eight uh, eight assists and um, no errors. Like he's he's been very good defensively as well. So when you want to take a look at that, I know Jansen's also good defensively, and Kirk isn't the greatest at that. He was obviously more known for his bat, but you know, in terms of Reese McGuire this year, he's been very complete. And yeah, I mean, Mark, when you mentioned it right away, in terms of I guess his disappointing 2020 when he was briefly with the Jays last year, he appeared in 19 games. He had a 220 OPS and an, a batting average of 073. It, that was. Uh, dreadful in terms of how bad he was. I understand. I do remember people complaining about how bad he was. I just didn't realize it was that bad. So for him to turn around like he did this year, especially to kind of catch fire, I mean, the past couple of weeks, it's the perfect time for him. He got an opportunity with the injury to Kirk and Jansen. He, he got the opportunity to win his way back on the team. And the other thing too is the waivers. If you, go, if you put him through waivers now and you decide to go back to Jansen and Kirk, you're almost certainly going to lose him now. I mean, I, I 
what team would pass up on Reese McGuire on the waiver wire? You'd be stupid to. I mean, look at the numbers he's put up. And yeah, it has been the best offensive showing statistically and from what we've seen this year from the Blue Jays catching. And for Danny Jansen the past couple of years, it just obviously hasn't gone his way, especially in 2020 and in his 42 games this year as well. It just hasn't gone his way whatsoever. Kirk had a glimpse of it last year, and a lot of people were excited for him this year. And he caught fire right before he got injured. So bad timing, bad luck for him, yeah. But Reese McGuire has earned the opportunity to stay. He's starting back-to-back days now. Usually it was Adams, McGuire, they were rotating. But McGuire has been in the lineup card almost every day now the past couple of weeks, or at least the last week in particular. So I would just be shocked if Reese McGuire wasn't on the roster. But I think it should be McGuire Jansen. No, sorry, McGuire Kirk. But just knowing it or having a gut feeling in terms of how the Jays handle things, it'll be McGuire and Jansen. Yeah, and Kirk is the only one of the catchers besides Riley Adams who has options, right? So Exactly. Like, that's just... Like, yeah, if I was the GM, if we were just picking our favorite players for the position and the people who are going to put up the best numbers, it's going to be Kirk and McGuire. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of defensive stats that we don't know or understand because catching, like, as much as, like, war and defensive stats have evolved so much, catching still has a long way to go in terms of measuring it and pitch framing and all that kind of stuff. So maybe there's a lot that we're missing with Danny Jansen there just looking at the offensive numbers. But still, if I'm the GM just picking my favorite players for that position, like you said, it's McGuire and Kirk. But the fact is, said it a million times, this is a team that values, um, you know, years of control. They value having control over the players. They're not just going to give up Danny Jansen, which they, like, as bad as his offensive numbers have been, his defense is good enough that a team is going to claim him off waivers. So they're just not going to give him up. So... It's going to be Jansen and McGuire in the majors because they're the two that don't have options. Um, I think we could see the possibility of a trade of maybe Jansen or, you know, we've talked about Kirk or maybe even Reese McGuire. Maybe they sell high on McGuire and trade him um, for, you know, relievers, starters, guys like that, that they need help with, whether it's a bench bat um, in the infield or like I mentioned relievers like maybe they sell high on him or sell high on Kirk um, or even Jansen there but as things stand now it's going to be Jansen and McGuire that's just the solution I see happening just the realities of the situation which is unfortunate you wish you know the Blue Jays could carry all three guys you wish they could figure something out but um, that's just the realities of the situation Um, okay the last thing we want to touch on. I mentioned the Blue Jays have won seven of the last eight. If they hadn't lost that blown bullpen game, it would have been eight of the last eight. The stretch the Blue Jays have been on and the, I guess, the relaxing of their schedule over the next months um, has made the Blue Jays, at least in my mind and numerically, if you look at the numbers, a little bit better in terms of the postseason. Um, I feel like we were all kind of doom and gloom after couple bad weeks after you get swept, Um, but things have turned around. So you look at the numbers for the Blue Jays' playoff odds. If you go back to before this good stretch, before this 7 of 8 stretch, the odds of the Blue Jays making the playoffs, according to Fangraphs, was at 24.3%. You jump to 
Today, as of June 28th that we're recording this, the odds of the Blue Jays making the playoffs are 41.4%. So that's a jump of, what, 17% over a week. Um, You look at the odds of the Blue Jays to win the World Series, it jumped from 2.7% to 4.3%. I think we're seeing, like, like logically, mentally, throughout the entire season, we knew the Blue Jays' schedule was really tough to begin with. We knew that we're going to have to go through some hard times at the beginning, and then we're going to see them you know, take off against the easier competitors in the second half. But I feel like, at least for me, I kind of lost sight of that in the middle of that early June frustration. It was really hard to keep in mind, this team is a good team, they're going places, and I think I kind of accepted that they're not going to make the postseason. But now we're finally seeing that easy schedule pay off, and I think people, including myself, are coming around again to the idea of the Blue Jays as a postseason team. They're only six games back in the East. I say only. But it's six games. You got more than half the season left. You look at the wild card race, they're five games back. Um, that's very doable, especially when you look at what they're going to add at the deadline, the competitors they're facing in the second half. I think I'm coming around again to the idea of this team as a playoff team. Yeah, we. I think all three of us got a little too heated in the moment, especially the way the Blue Jays were losing, where maybe <clears throat> they had the opportunity to win and then they blew the game, and or maybe they just got beat, but... The schedule's looking a lot easier, I will say that. I mean, the the, the important thing is, I think, to, they're not winning the division, like, I'll say that. Not, I mean, the Red Sox, I'm surprised, to be completely honest, that they're still where they are, 47 and 31. I thought they would fall off by now. Tampa Bay is only half a game, I think, back of, of the Red Sox at 47 and 32. But Blue Jays are not winning that division. Uh, that's not happening, at least not this season. But in the wild card, there's only three teams tech one team that's uh that they're behind in terms of getting into that top two and then i guess you can consider three there's tampa bay and oakland t- uh, at uh at the first two spots and then cleveland is ahead of the blue jays by i think two games so they're five games back but if i'm the blue jays that's a big jump there were many games where there were or there were a couple games a week a couple weeks back where there were many teams that were ahead of them not only ahead of them, but uh, but within a couple of games, and that's not realistic to come back from. But I would say that with this easier schedule, they have a chance to even things out. I mean, they were a little bit over a 500 team against some of the division leaders and some of the tougher teams in the American League. Now let's see what they what they can do against these weaker teams. And I mentioned earlier that they face the Orioles. I think there's two more series in the within the next month. They face uh, the where is it the rangers the uh, yankees they faced kansas city at the end of july but other than i would say a series against the red sox and new york i mean red sox new york and tampa bay so division teams that those are important but aside from those series i would say that this is relatively easier month for the team you're facing seattle they're finishing june going into july with that then they have baltimore again texas so like i would say that Given that the the schedule is easier, I think we'll finally see where the Blue Jays truly fit. And also, I mean, the the beginning of the season was just brutal in terms of injuries, and there were two guys in the rotation at one point, and slow starts. Like I think now, as we're starting to see guys come around, they get George Springer back. They have a lot of their offensive, defensive pitching pieces back. Schedule is getting a little easier. I would I would say that yeah, I, it we should be a little bit more optimistic now. Are there things that need to be addressed? Is there a bullpen that needs to stop blowing games? Absolutely. Is that something that I think will that will be addressed? Absolutely as well. So 
uh, it'll be a better month for them or a better I would say better summer. Like I, I don't think that really even August will be tough or, or as tough because they're facing Detroit, uh, Baltimore again quite a few times in Seattle and the Angels. So I would say that this is a perfect time to gain some ground. Go into September where you'll have some of those tougher games against Cleve uh, or, or not Cleveland, Oakland, uh, Tampa Bay. Like you're gonna have tougher opponents. So take advantage of this while you can now. Gain as much ground on on your the guys that you're or the teams that you're trailing try and get a lead on them and then go from there because there's no expanded playoffs if there was an expanded playoffs 100% they make the playoffs but there isn't and they got to fight for those two wild card spots and are one of those two and I, I do think it's realistic and fingers crossed if they make the wild card or if they make it to the wild card game it's in Toronto it will be don't worry it will be um, it, it'll be in Toronto before a lot of the confidence. end of August as well yeah, I'm getting more confident. Anyways, the the fact that I like July too. Obviously, the All Star break it'll be a good break. You get to re- ever you know the thing about the All Star break is what I missed last year too. It's a good week kind of to lay low and kind of reassess everything. So I think it'll be a good week or just a good pause, especially for the Jays in terms of the ups and downs they've had. So it'll be a little bit refreshing. But yeah, the the, the one thing I like about July is Jacob, you're pretty much mentioning all the teams they play is it's more balanced and that's it's balanced. You have a couple, obviously hard division opponents. You see the Rays and Red Sox twice, and then you have some either easier series ahead in terms of the division and other teams across the American league. So that's why I'm happy with how July looks and it's going to go upwards from here. And the one thing I want to make clear is too, is the fact that we're been, we've been raving about how the schedule has been tough. The Jays need this to, I guess, get back in the hunt. And I hate kind of pinpointing the schedule in terms of their success or, you know, trying to use these games for them to get back in it. But the fact of the matter is, is they're still missing a couple more pieces and they're this close from being able to compete with those top teams. And that's why after the deadline, when the bullpen's addressed, maybe when the starting rotation gets upgraded, they they're going to be up there. And then the, when, when once that happens, there's going to be no more excuses. There's not because you're going to get healthier. We assume by the end of July we're going to have a few more bullpen pieces back. We know that Merriweather's uh, going to be back soon. Barucki's going to be back soon. So people are slowly coming back. Uh, George Springer's back. We know that now. So he's he's back to playing center field and everything too. So we seem it seems to be good with that. But where once once the the the, uh, the deadline passes, there's going to be no more excuses. So that's why it is important for them to get through these easier matchups to gain the ground back because the bullpen. We know the the blown games this year. They're just they're a few more pieces away in terms of pitching for them to be complete almost, and for them to be able to give the Red Sox a run for their money to give the Rays a tough time because. This year, it's been the other way around in terms of the Rays and Red Sox giving the Jays a tough time. I know the Jays have had a few series where they've you know gone over them, but overall, we we know majority of it they're still missing that part, and that's okay. But that I just want to make that clear in terms of why we're raving about the schedule getting easier now. And of course, to begin with, it doesn't help when it is the hardest schedule in baseball, and that's obviously a fact in terms of how it was calculated. But yeah, going back to I guess when we were kind of upset or a couple weeks ago I mean I mean I think every Blue Jays fan was so there's obviously nothing wrong with that I always had hopes for the second wild card spot so I think it obviously looks better they're five games back and it's just crazy to believe the last time we recorded I believe I saw eight or seven and anything over seven and over it's just it's ugly it, it really is so that's why a lot of us were like oh like you know what I mean like the odds were down everything was down but this past weekend it makes it look a little bit more 
reasonable, something that we've seen before, five games, six games from the division, and uh, five for the uh, wild card. It's easy. It's on. It's easier to make ground up on. So yeah, you have a lot of you have a couple teams now ahead of the Jays. It's just Cleveland and it's uh, Oakland. So those are the two teams, and of course Tampa, who's the first spot, but they're kind of flip flopping with Boston right now. And it's too early, obviously, to kind of guarantee who's going to be that first spot. But either way, it's going to be one of those teams, I think. And yeah, it's going to be really tight down the stretch. But yeah, it's 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 going to be a very competitive and impressive second half of the season. So. Things are definitely looking better, and I'm glad we're at this point because I guess there was a chance, as much as you don't want to predict failure, that, you know, what if the Jays find ways to lose these series against the Marlins, against the Orioles, and maybe against the Mariners where all of a sudden you're close to 10 games back, and then that's really when you're hitting the panic button. So it's kind of relieving, too, for the Jays to have majority of it to take advantage of these last 10 games or seven and three in the last 10 games. So they are taking advantage of it and so far so good. And you hope it continues to be like that should have swept Baltimore this past weekend, but three to four sweeping Miami this series prior, you're going to take that any day of the week. So that that's, it's a good thing for sure. And uh, you have an important three games now as you head into Canada today with the Mariners and win the series again, why not sweep them? Correct. Right. I feel like we have to end the podcast there. Because we never, I feel like we never end on a positive note. And uh, <laughs> that was very positive. <laughs> Things are looking up as Blue Jay fans. And uh, it's been a fun, fun past week and hopefully a fun episode to listen to. But thank you to everyone who did listen to this episode. As always, you can find our stuff um, on social media at Section138Pod, on Twitter and Instagram. You can support our podcast on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Section138Pod. You can rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, which just goes a long way in terms of helping spread the word about what we do here. It's awesome that you guys listen to this podcast, but just giving us a a little rating on Apple Podcasts helps new people discover what we're doing. And then lastly, but not least, our podcasts are on YouTube. You can watch them there and see all of our reactions to all the stupid stuff other people say. So we'll leave it there. Thank you to everyone who listened. We'll catch you next time.